I'm joined today by two of London's more interesting people. Uh, Gil Warren, who is sitting in for the vacationing Jeff. He is vacationing, isn't he? Mm -hmm. Jeff Schlemmer. Right. And Robert Metz, who is our regular uh, uh, panelist on this portion of our program, uh, which we refer rather loosely to, or refer to rather loosely, depending on how you look at it, as left, right, and center. So welcome to both of you today. Morning, Jim. Good morning. Um, there are a couple of things that are out there that I want to maybe throw on the table and get your thoughts on it. Our discussion with Bruce Wallace in the last hour, the uh, Ottawa Bureau Chief of McLean's, he talked about, um, he used the word democracy and talked about how our democracy, and I think he uses the word advisedly, um, has changed over the years. It has evolved over the years. It's become much more of a presidential system of leadership in that the, uh, the man at the top is somewhat insulated from uh, from those uh, with whom with whom he supposedly serves. Now it's almost to the point where they're there to serve him. He also drew a parallel to the British system, which ostensibly is the same, but in fact is somewhat different. The uh, the prime minister in Great Britain uh, does have a tremendous amount of power in some ways, the same as our uh, prime minister does. But traditionally, over there, cabinet ministers have a great deal of power as well. And you will see in, in Canada, if you think back, the only cabinet ministers in the last how many years? Uh, 15, uh, what is we on? We're 98, 80, 78, uh, last 15 years. The only cabinet ministers with really, how do I put this, with major public impact. I think you could make a case, there have only been two of them, uh, uh, Paul Martin and Don Mazankowski. Uh, the rest of them tend to have been ciphers more or less to a greater or lesser extent. Some of them have gotten headlines from time to time, but how much power did they really have? The British system my understanding of it, my reading of it, uh, there do tend more often to be powerful cabinet ministers than seems to have been the norm here in the last few years. Having said all of that, however, uh, we are still a parliamentary democracy here in Canada. And um, we're seeing now with this prime minister, unless it's just the carping of the media, as the prime minister would have us believe, we're seeing, I think, uh, a move to a more... Uh, well, an imperial prime ministry, can we use that? I think everybody understands what that means in this context. Uh, and I would ask you, uh, uh, Gil, are, are, is this, is this a, does it concern you, this movement away from sort of a, a gathering of equals, an exchange of ideas between equals to what we have now, which is very definitely a gathering of distinctly unequals? Yeah, I'm very disturbed at the state of our democracy. And, and if you look back to the original democracy in, in Greece, it was uh, the people in the community coming together and discussing the issues and running their community, running their city. And I'm really disturbed that we don't have the dialogue and the debate in the House of Commons and in, in the media that we should be having about the issues of the day. And I think part of it is the fault of the, of the pr Prime Minister being too presidential. Part of it is the fault of the media not being critical. Part of it is the fault of a weak, weak, divided opposition in Ottawa, where, where you have five different parties. And I think this, the key here is the citizen. And I use the word citizen very carefully. People have to be aware of what's going on. They have to be involved. And they have to uh, make their governments listen. And they have to participate. And that, that will create uh, the environment that we need. But they don't do that. They don't seem to want to do that in our society. Uh, the average Canadian, uh, the experts will tell us, is largely indifferent to politics, except when the election rolls around. Even then, uh, the vast majority of them have only a rudimentary understanding of what the issues are. It is a free country. It is a free, quote, democracy. Uh, part of that means we're free to ignore the government. Are you suggesting that we should be compelled to take a more active role? 
Well, I like the uh, the Australian system where you have to vote at least. I mean, by law, they say that you got to get out there and vote unless you got a good reason, like you're sick. But I think the key thing here is that uh, it's a cultural thing, mm -hmm. and and we've had a real cultural change in our country. And what's happened is that the ideal of a citizen is being downplayed for various reasons, and we end up now with with uh, consumers and shoppers, people who 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 take things but they don't give back to their society. The, the whole idea of public service has gone out the window. And I think that uh, wh what we should have is activists and not couch potatoes watching TV. And people need to get out in their community, they need to go to meetings, and they need to participate in city elections and provincial elections, and they need to participate in uh, lobby groups and campaigns and all that sort of thing. And I think that if people were participating and saw that their participation made a difference, that more people would be involved. People are discouraged by the system that tells them to go away for four years and come back at the next election. It's an ongoing thing. Uh, political power is something that is there every day, and it moves back and forth. It's a fluid situation. And if people don't participate uh, beyond voting, I mean, w what kind of deal is that, just voting once every four years? Bob, let me turn the to focus to you. I know that you are very involved uh, in the political process. You've mentioned before that, uh, that you have worked for many years to put forward some of your ideas um, through Freedom Party and not necessarily with the expectation that you're ever going to form the government but the idea that this is a valuable um, forum from which to put these uh, these issues before the public and before the politicians so obviously you're involved on an ongoing basis do you agree or disagree with with Gil when he says we need more people to get involved more people have to become actively involved uh, I I'm afraid I don't have any romantic illusions about government or democracy particularly at all, Jim. Um, I share some of the of some of the criticisms Gil just said, you know, talking about only having one vote every once every four years or so, and, and even then, unless you vote for the winner, mm -hmm. your vote didn't count. It's just thrown in the waste paper basket. It doesn't count. The only way your vote counts in, in a first-past-the-post-democracy is if you vote for the winner. Mm -hmm. other, other than that, you might as well not go and vote. Uh, the idea of supporting a forced vote is is really it turns me right off. That to me is totalitarianism. That's what the Soviets did. And if if you know to have a right to do something means that you have the right to say no to doing it. To force you to do it means you don't have a right. A forced vote means you don't have the right to vote. Mm -hmm. You must support some uh, some politician who's running that you might not want to support otherwise, or or, or decline your vote if you they can create your own right. party. Australia is not a totalitarian country; it's just a country that has a rule about voting. And but I isn't think that's a, a totalitarian law. You know, whether it's a totalitarian country depends on how many of those kinds of laws it has. And I leave it to any individual to to arrive at that conclusion himself. Where when a country becomes completely totalitarian, it's a slow slow process, one policy at a time. But Gill points, uh, uh, points out a, a good dichotomy here, that the consumer versus the citizen. Mm -hmm. And he's suggesting that the consumer uh, just takes things from society and doesn't want to give back. And I would suggest that's only true in a welfare state consumer type of society. No, but, our but, but, society. But a society in which uh, people earn their money, they've already given their bit to society. They've created something, they've worked for someone, they've exchanged their labor, and now they can become a consumer. So that to be a consumer in a legitimate free society means you have made your contribution to society in advance. And that now you're getting allowed to reap some of the reward of that contribution that you made. Uh, you know, and you can't put the citizen in the same sense of the word, uh, or even put it in the same framework. Like, like on a free market, I can vote every day. I can support General Motors. I can support Toyota. I can support RCA or Sony or whoever the heck I want to by where I decide to spend my money. 
that's not a choice that's offered me anywhere in any democratic system. And, and to suggest that any individual really has any input through democracy is, is a complete illusion. And, and it just covers up, a, I think, a greater desire to place more power in the hands of fewer people. I want to I want to address very quickly the issue of of uh, of uh, of uh, forced vote. I don't like the word forced, but uh, obligatory voting. One of the uh, concerns I've heard expressed, Gil, and I just want to get your thoughts on it. That one of the problems with that, and they found it in Australia. Some people tell you in Australia it's been a problem that you get people who vote who are even less informed than the people who vote now here. That I have to vote on such and such a day. I have to do it, so I go in and I what you know just whatever name or I just put my name you know check it off and I'm out of here. Leave me alone. Yeah. The suggestion has been made that we're probably better off with the kind of apathy we have now than the kind of uh, institutionalized apathy that that might breed. Well, I think that that would be true. You're going to have voters who are not that aware, but you also have voters now who are not that aware and their friends tell them how to vote and stuff mm -hmm. like that. True. I think the other thing is that the voting process is intimidating. If you're a poor, poor, powerless person and you you are told to vote and there's some place you go and there are officials at tables and things like that and you're not literate, that's an intimidating process. Mm -hmm. And I think that if it were mandatory, then it would maybe not be so intimidating that uh, you're going to, everybody's going there, everybody has to do it, and so but you're going to take if, but an interest in it. But if you're so intimidated... I can't believe you said no, that. If you're so intimidated and so illiterate, should you be voting in the first place? Do we want yeah, illiterate, intimidated yeah. people voting? Yes, because it's one person, one vote. And what, I want to go back to what Bob said there about in, in the free market you vote every day. Only if you have money, and that's the problem. I mean, the but you just complain that you want people to give back to society, and that's the, that's the evidence of what they gave to society. No, it's well, a lot talking about people who haven't given to society. It's a lot more than just buying some something. It's a lot more than just buying something. Well, the point I'm making is that in the corporate world, it is not a democracy. It is it is uh, based on power and greed, and and the idea is the more power you have, the more you can influence society. That's not democracy. Corporations are not democratic. G GM does not elect its president. I mean, the, the workers and the, and the consumers do not have a vote there. Sure and they do. This is the dichotomy between parliamentary democracy or other types of democracy and what's happening with the world corporations. And I think that the world corporations are a threat to democracy. I think that it's not an accident that the citizens of this country are being con turned into consumers because a, a, a disorganized <laughs> individual consumer is no threat to the system. And activists... Consumers, Gil, exist in every society. What makes North yes. America different is that we are producers. Consumers exist in the poorest of the poor regions that you yes. can possibly define on the earth, and their problem is not consumption, it is production. And unfortunately, every form of collectivism and every form of socialism cannot produce. And therefore, it has to rely on some form of capitalism in order to get production. Now, that's not working. true. It, there are all it kinds of different models true. to produce, and there have been throughout history. There's been all kinds of different civilizations with different things other than big business. But the, the real point here is the point... They all operated on the same principles. If they could produce something, they had to produce something through incentive or through force, which, which led to a very limited and, and rigid and primitive technology, if you're going to use slaves to, to, to create some kind of a thing for the state. But as, well, soon, as, as soon as free will was unleashed, people began inventing things for themselves. Let's go back to your con your point about about people consuming. Yes, everyone consumes, and that's good. We have our basic needs for food and, and housing and things like that. What yeah. I'm suggesting is that we now have overconsumption. When you when you walk into a mall and there's just everything to buy, and people go in there with no idea to buy something, they come out with a carload of stuff. That's the mindless consumerism. When they that's spend not what it's about at when all. they that's spend their Saturday afternoon, there. when they spend their Saturday afternoon down at the mall, 
instead of at a political meeting, that's your problem. It's a matter of balance. Uh, there's nothing wrong with having stores. There's nothing wrong with selling goods that people need. That's an important part of our society. But if that becomes the only purpose that people live for is to be consumers and to watch TV, you don't have a citizenship. You don't have a democracy. It's, it's been given away to the corporations who are making the real decisions. And, and that's why I see it. Well, who suggested it's the only reason people live for? The, but that's the, the, the issue of technology and consumerism is to make our lives comfortable enough so that we can put our attention on all those, those other things that you're talking no, we about. Have, we people had, who are concerned with living from day to day, survival, worried about the animals who may attack and worry about the weather that may do them under are not concerned about all these high and lofty ideals that you propose to be putting I disagree. forward. In the 1930s, when people were unemployed and homeless and starving, there was all kinds of political activity in this country. And people were fighting for Medicare, for public education, for all the social services that we have. They didn't fall from the sky. The Martians didn't give us the, 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 the uh, services that we have. People fought but, for that. But, but and it was there, an vibrant, were, democratic if no environment. Goods, if there were no goods to produce to fight for, to, to, to redistribute through some socialist means, that, that, that action, even that, couldn't have happened. You have to have the product first. And that's where a socialist would start. He starts in midstream as though wealth and technology and all that stuff has existed in nature. And therefore, it is now his, his job to redistribute it. No, no uh, I, I, you're, you're missing the point that, that uh, there's a lot more to people than... You don't start with the material with people. You start with the spiritual. And you, start with, you start with ideas and education and, well, and, well, and ideas civilization. Ideas lead to material things, though. Every idea we have, every machine is an extension of a man's mind. Every machine, it, whether it's a big shovel to dig, to dig the earth so that they can, you know, rip up the roads here in the city of London <laughs> yeah. and fix the roads up, rather than having 25 guys digging with a hand that's shovel. That's what they I think they do. should be doing, by the way. Well, I know you do, and I think that's a tr tremendously terrible thing to be suggesting because especially as a representative from labor, you of all people should be totally in favor of the more advanced technology, the better, because the, 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 the less advanced the technology attached to labor, the, the harder the labor is and the less it is worth in the marketplace. So you're advocating a, a society going back to just dealing with brute nature, which would require the elimination, by the way, of two-thirds of existing mankind. No, I, I'm not advocating the elimination of anybody. I think that we need to have a society that... that uh, a civilization that brings everyone up to their potential in terms of the level of their intelligence and what they can contribute. You take from the society and you give back to the society. Well, and I, I think a key... What, is a person's, what, what prevents a person from reaching their potential? It's only their own actions or inaction in a free no. society, in a regulated society. They have regulations limiting their potential. You, you said that I'm the romantic, but, but last week a caller phoned up and said you were the idealist. I think you're right because you have this idea of a free market. It's like being a gardener. You, if I plant a garden, I've got to take care of it for the rest of the season. I have to weed it. I have to water it. Your idea is that if you plant a garden in the free market, it just takes care of itself. It's not how it works. Where did you get that? That's not how it works. Where do you get that concept you from? Want I've never said anything like that. You want never, a free ever. market. You want a free market with no controls. And That's not what a free market means. A free market means... It doesn't mean that there's no controls. It means there's very rigid laws, rules, and regulations, but they leave the agents in the market free. That's the consumer. A free market only only refers to the consumers in the market. They are free to buy and sell and, and, and choose what they want. No one is forcing them to buy from supplier X instead of supplier Y. When the term yes, there is, and, and, and socialists have turned that term around again, making it a metaphysical right. term, and saying that oh, by free you mean no regulations, no controls. Well, that's ridiculous. Free what, what, to to have free choice in society, you have to have rules. And the first rule is thou shalt not. 
you know, aggress against another individual, even if you think you've got a good reason to do it. Other that, that's not a rule. That's just le leave everybody to himself. But you're missing. That's not a rule. You're, you're missing the point in terms. That's of, not a rule. You're missing the point in terms of our society and in terms. Okay, I got to okay. just step in just for a second because I am the guy in the middle. Um, I know there are people at home who are questioning what you said a moment ago, uh, Gil, where Bob said that an important rule that you shouldn't aggress against others, and you said, well, that's not a rule, that's just every man for himself. Can you explain how you, how you get that from, from having a rule that says that I can't punch you in the nose if I feel like it? How? I, I agree that you cannot punch me in the nose, and, and we have to have basic rules in our society, and, and it's a good rule to say that if you can leave other people alone and just mind your own business, that's good. But you cannot exist in a vacuum in our society. You cannot have pure freedom. You have to have, you have to give up some of that freedom in order to get some of the benefits. It's a yes, trade-off. It's a balance. Voluntarily, it's a balance. we do that all the time. No, but I get see, married, what you miss, I make a certain, certain choice. I, I remain single, I make certain choices, and I have to live with those consequences. Mm -hmm. I work for Employer X, I have to follow and be responsible to that person. Mm -hmm. I have to get up every morning and go to work. But that's not, that's a totally different thing from someone, quote, forcing me to do it. But what you miss, what you miss in your analysis is that you have this ideal view of a free market that is ignoring what's happening in the real market, in the real big business market. The free I'm, market is the real market, Gil. But your, you don't, your analysis sees that it's a benign thing that is just going along, running things, running on its own and controlling itself. And what you it miss, what, no, what you miss is the corporate concentration that's going on. What you miss is the world corporations no, the that are co happening. The world corporations are a good thing. No, they're not. And, um, and, and, and one of the reasons we've avoided a, a major war for so long no, because corporations no, have infiltrated. Uh, I, I want to say one more thing, one more thing here, please, for both of you gentlemen. Gil, you have repeatedly insulted Bob by saying he doesn't get what you're saying. He has not said that to you once. So I would ask you to, to extend him the same courtesy he's extended to you. Sure. Okay. okay. Fair enough? Right. Okay. We're going to pause for just a second. We'll be back with more Left, Right, and Sand. For a recorded transcript of what goes on during the commercial, send $163 <laughs> to... We would have uh, got a good one. Just we've uh, had a very interesting discussion here with Gil Warren and Bob Metz on Left, Right, and Center. And uh, just before we broke, I, uh, I asked both of our guests to, uh, to uh, respect each other's opinions and... and, and uh, well, I know they're going to do that. Anyway, I want to throw something else on the table here for both of your delectation. And, Gil, you made the comment before about uh, doing road work, for example, that that uh, you believe that instead of having the machinery doing it, we should have 25 guys out there digging the ditches and so on. Um, I can tell you that my, my grandfather did that sort of work and in his later years talked to me about doing that, and it was the absolute worst experience of his entire life. He told me he was never so happy in his life as the day he got a job out of the ditches. And yet you want to send people back into the ditches. I don't understand that. Well, I, you gotta, you got to go with the premises that you start with. And my premise is that we need a full employment economy. And I also feel that uh, our technology is overdeveloped, which is not to say that I'm opposed to all technology. The concept I'm looking at is appropriate levels of technology and appropriate levels of mechanization and automation. And what I would suggest is if we have a million people unemployed in this country who need work, who psychologically need work, who financially need work, and if you have a construction project going on and you have a choice to use power shovels and bulldozers or to use 20 or 50 men uh, working uh, with shovels and carts, uh, that, that you, you do that to bring up your employment level to the point of full employment. Once you've got full employment, Great, go ahead, use your power shovels and your, and, and, and your, and your bulldozers. Poverty doesn't bother you along the way. You're going to have 20 guys digging the same ditch that somebody could pay one guy for. 
so it's going to cost 20 times as much mm -hmm. if you're going to... So mm -hmm. Pay so them the a decent wage. The, the ditch a, isn't going to get dug, I'm afraid, Gil. Sure. I think those people are all going to be unemployed because nobody's going to want to pay that kind of money or pay very we little pay, money. We pay people now to be on welfare and not produce or to be on unemployment insurance and not produce. That and doesn't justify what you just said. You just said your premises are full employment and that our technology is overdeveloped, although I don't know how anyone can say that. You'd have to be God himself to decide whether technology is overdeveloped because it's such an intricate and complex thing. It's overdeveloped uh, because it's producing unemployment. We, part of our high unemployment... Pardon? Part of our high unemployment is due to technology being overdeveloped. Too much, too many robots, too much mechanization. I mean, well, there's been a trade-off. Technology gets rid of the drudgery of employment and and elevates it to a new level, as Jim just uh, just enunciated with his example. And and to me, technology creates more employment than ever. I remember I worked at Canada Permanent when it was completely manual banking, and we went to computers, and everybody, oh my God, we're going to be out of jobs, we're going to be out of jobs, you know. And the first thing happened when the computer came in, they doubled their staff you know, because it created more opportunities. And yet, and yet, Bob, in fairness, we have seen example of after example across North America and the world in the last 10 to 15 years where technology has put tens of thousands of people out of work. Let me, let me rephrase what I just said. I just said that it doubled the staff. That's true. But some people lost their jobs. Mm -hmm. But in the aggregate, it doubled the number of people employed. That, and, that, that, and if you want proof of that, to see where employment exists and where it doesn't. If you really need an example of what Gil's talking about, look at the poor countries that don't have technology and compare the level of employment and standard of living there with the richer countries that have techn higher technology yeah. with the average standard of the average middle guy employed person there. I think you're going to see night and day. I, I, think, I think that this is a very complicated issue and you have to see that there are many things happening at once. And technology... Well, that's why you can't have... Listen, a listen to my argument. Listen to my argument. Technology is a process where you substitute manual labor for capital. So if you have money, you buy a bulldozer, okay? If you don't have the money, you don't buy the bulldozer. And, and when you buy that bulldozer, you're employing workers to make the bulldozer. You're employing a gasoline, fuel. You're creating air pollution. You're creating noise. There's all kinds of spin-offs that happen when you use technology. In the 60s, the argument was that the more technology you had, the more employment it created. But leading economists now are questioning that assumption. They're saying that they're seeing fewer and fewer people working to produce the same amount of goods. And, and that is, that's the problem. That's where we that's become over, overdeveloped. That's, that's a wonderful thing that few people can produce the goods that everyone With needs. a million unemployed? No, it's well, not a wonderful thing. Well, and that's the problem. You're, you're some, people have, some people have really cushy, high-technology jobs, and they sit and push buttons. Listen, if you want to take those million no people and send them all out and dig ditches, you're welcome to do that. But I don't think they'd go for it. Sure, really they would. They would leap at the chance. I'm sure. As a temporary job to get them back to work. At, at a market rate or at the, at at the, the 20 and $30 an hour rate that the guy who's, who's, who's technologically trained to use a machine... I think $15 to, an hour would be good. We can argue well, about that. We can well, argue. You, but no, you can't really, because you and I are not in control of prices and wages. That's the marketplace out there that's in control of it. Supply and demand. I saw, you and yeah. I cannot predict. As you just said, it's so complex that no one individual can predict it. So why you would even suggest that one government or one agency should I could give you a concrete the example. The, the federal and provincial governments did the uh, public works program a few years back to create work. That and means government works. They, they, they produce roads, and it was mm -hmm. under Ontario Works, and, right. and they produce roads and sewers and all sorts of stuff. And I was really critical of that at the time because I looked at it and I saw that they were putting to work a handful of, 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 of construction workers using a lot of technology and a lot of energy and stuff like that, when in fact they could have put a lot of people to work 
at a lower level of technology and, and, and got the put, same result. Then you put out of work all the people that built the technology because somebody has to build the tractor, somebody has to build the, the big shovel, somebody has to it's build the crane. Yes, it's a complicated issue. So and what, what, what are you going to do about those people? What I, would suggest, what I would suggest is that you're not going to put them all out of work. I'm saying that is you could reduce your use. You could reduce your use of that equipment. You could put the bulldozer in the garage for this year and get it out next year. So you're still <laughs> going to use the bulldozer down the road. But what I'm suggesting is that you have to have a balance in your economy between employment opportunities and, and, and technology and unemployment. I, I come out of, the, out of the industrial sector in London. I've worked in most of the factories in London over the last 20 years. I've seen what's happened in metalworking because that's where I'm from. And I've seen where it used to be that one worker put one part into a die, an auto part, and then took that part out. And now I've seen progressive dies come along where the whole thing is done, a whole series of operations, and the parts spit out the end and raw ribbons of steel go in. Yeah. Ribbons of steel go in and complete parts come out. And one worker is doing that. One worker is running the machine, one worker is making the tool and die. The, the How many workers the built the machine? The employment How many is workers built the machine? For a very short period of time, six months, but that machine well, lasts for 30 years. And, and, and they, don't, they didn't build another one for anybody else? And, put more, and, and ultimately put more people out of work. There's a trade-off. You know, there's, there's some, there's some, how, are you, there's how some do you skilled know what work. the trade-off is? Because there's no way one individual can see all the chain reaction in terms of what all the trade-offs are. Economists are looking at this now, and they're looking, at, they're looking at the numbers, and they're saying, where is the, the great employment benefit from high technology? Okay, I want to jump in Not for there. a second and remind you, you're listening to Left, Right, and Center on 1290 CJBK. I'm Jim Chapman, Bob Metz, and Gil Warren with us on the program today. Um, I'm a little confused here, um, and perhaps you gentlemen can, can help enlighten me. If, Gil, as you say, um, these new systems that spit out these car parts uh, and have eliminated the number of people who used to build them, how then is it that we are selling more cars than ever before? Who's buying them? Well, actually, we're not selling more cars than ever before. Well, that, we that's are. part of the po problem. We have population growth in this country, mm -hmm. and so therefore, if you have population growth, you're, you're selling more cars. But our, our markets have been depressed for the last 10 or 15 years. I mean, workers' incomes have not increased in real terms. We've had high, un high unemployment. Uh, we've had factories running at 85% at of capacity and that sort of thing. And, uh, and I, 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 you know... If we'd had a full employment economy, we'd, we would have sold even more cars. But I, I don't think cars are the solution. I think public transit is the solution. That's a whole other matter. Also, we've sold more buses. We've got to pause for a second. We'll be right sure. back. Robert Metz and Gil Warren with us on this edition. And we have uh, caller Rick waiting. Hi, Rick. How are you? Fine, thank you. Good. I have a question for one of your fellows there. I've been listening this morning. Um, prime example, one farmer not all that many years ago, 20 years ago, used to feed 10 to 12 people. The same man feeds 40 people. And in the future, he's going to have to feed 70 to 80 people. Um, with a labor-intensive system, like as the world population grows, it is impossible for us to feed these people. We're going to have to use technology to the, to the greatest extent we have. I agree with you, Rick, and, and that's why I said earlier that to, to argue for any sort of restricted technology, you've got to do away with two-thirds of the Earth's population. Well, I, I, I disagree, Rick, and I think that, first of all, you have to start with the premise that we need population control and we have to limit uh, the population that we're going to have on the planet. Uh, I think the next thing is that, that, and agriculture is really, I'm really interested in agriculture because 
the, the technology that we put into agriculture and the energy and the capital have produced dramatic, incredible increases in production. But there's a downside to that, as there's a downside to everything. The soil is being compacted. We're using up fuel to run the tractors. We're using up fertilizers to fertilize the fields. We have a high-technology farming going on that is not sustainable in the long run. We're losing topsoil because of, the, of, the, of, the, of this intensive farming technique. And we can't keep up this intensive level of production with the technology indefinitely. And so then there's a big famine in Have the you works. ever visited Epcot Center down in Florida? That's yes, right next with to the hydroponics. No, I stay away and from seen there. the hydroponics there and how, te- how, how agriculture will be in the future. None of these issues you raised are going to be there. That's not all. agriculture. That's uh, the f- food farming or well, something. Food, food well, that's, factories. That's, what, that's what it is. And they grow it there and they feed it to the people right on the site. You yeah. eat the food that's growing right in the yeah. same facility. And but that's going to do t- that now. Yeah, that takes tremendous amounts of capital to build greenhouses and, and all that equipment. What I'm suggesting it meets all the reg- everything yeah. you just said. It takes care of the environment. There's no more. No, there's lots of energy input in there. There's no, it doesn't take care of the environment. They are supplementary heat. Yeah. The they are in a small acreage of like a small area of land. That's but like you a machine. Back to your original thing. One yeah. thing you're saying: reading fuel up, reading fertilizer up, reading everything up. Yes to a certain extent. They've come a long, long way. Ten years ago, we used to make uh, maybe seven to eight passes across the field. Today, yeah. we're down to three. We've made huge gains on saving our topsoil. You're right. With, uh, reduced You're, tillage, yeah. no-till, yeah. with sustaining top yields. Um, back but, but to the issue here's a, here's with another, here's a, the environment up. Our corn yeah. produces oxygen and takes carbon dioxide out of the system. If you cut our acreages back, that is going to reduce. You can't plant enough trees in that time. I can't tell you the tons of oxygen that an acre of corn produces, but it's a, it, the trees yeah, it would yeah. take to do it is phenomenal. And what do you get out of a tree? Wood. No food products hardly ever. That's right. Other than apples, apricots, but the world can't grow that. And then you're back to a pesticide issue. Yeah, I, I think it's great, Rick, that you're phoning up because you're a real farmer. Because without food, the whole system collapses, and we keep forgetting that. Like for instance, London as a city gobbles I don't, I don't up, gobbles, think Rick gobbles is advocating up, turning it back to one farmer. No, he's not. But I'm, I'm, a, I'm really pleased that he's calling in because in London here we have this incredible idea that we can just gobble up all the farms for urban sprawl and it won't have any impact on us. And people have got to have a farm perspective that live in the city. But you know, one another part of the, pro- I agree with you that there's been improvements made in cutting back the the impact of, of technological farming, but there's still real great problems about about seeds and how the corporations have got control of the seed seed genetics and stuff like that and how we all all the plants are being done on the basis of one seed instead of a diversity of seeds and things like that. So there's all kinds of fundamental problems with high technology farming. And I'm saying that if we have a lot of unemployed people in the city, get some out there helping you on the farm. They Redu- won't work. Yes, they would. It, it- is not. It is a, you wouldn't believe how hard it is to find a farm laborer, and I mean a farm laborer, not fork and crap. I mean driving an air-conditioned tractor with mm-hmm. an AM-FM cassette player, air conditioning, and but an air But it's seasonal right temporary seat. work, isn't it? It is hard to find them. Yeah, because it's seasonal temporary work, and people well, are looking... are going to blame for that now, God, because we have winter in southern Ontario? No, no, no. I mean, <laughs> the unemployed... Un- control God no. now? But the unemployed are not... Uh, are looking for full-time work, and that's what they want. And, and, and any kind of seasonal work is difficult to find a workforce for because people want to be doing full-time work, and they're looking for full-time work. But I, I, think we could, I think we could get people out into the farms. Like, if we bust people out and organize the system and pay them decent wages, we could get workers out, too, because there's a lot of people in the city who would love to do that if they had an opportunity. Sure they would. A small percentage of it. And I don't well, let's get them out there. Sounds, and I'm not um, degrading people in any way, but the scenario is 
they'll work for two to three months and enough of that crap. Like, enough of that. Then we'll bring in somebody else. And There's a pool, a great pool of unemployed in here in London. Yeah, well, I think we have a different opinion slightly on that, right. but it's always yeah. good to hear and talk to people. Rick, I appreciate your call, sir. No problem. Thanks very much. Uh, I want to ask you something, Gil, because you said before about, about population control, that we have mm -hmm. to do that, and, and uh, certainly there are many people who believe that. I don't know whether Bob does or not, but, but nope. there, well, there's another angle to that, though. What I think we need to do today is we need to be pragmatic in our approach to our problems, and it seems to me that it's wishful thinking to say or to imply that, well, we have to have population control in order to survive, so you know we'll take that as a given that we will have population control. That's not a given. You can't take it as a given because you can't control these other countries around the world who either do not share this concern or do not uh, have not been able to communicate it to their to their population. So I don't think you can take that as a given, that there will be population control. As far as we can see, there won't be. Well, again, uh, this is a complicated problem. When I say population control, uh, there are all kinds of ways to po control a, po a population. Well, name a few. Well, the, the real root cause of, of population growth in the world is poverty. And, and that's the problem. And when I'm saying we need to control population, I'm saying that if we got rid of the poverty in the world, then the population rates would decline. Well, and that's, you're probably right. That's been shown time and time again. 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 And that comes with technology and, no, it and comes free markets. Because no, it comes with see? a civilization that's working. Well, which is a, which is the a point, technological civilization. Yeah. And if you notice that the richer countries are the countries with the slowest population growth. They depend on immigration and other ways to, to boost their population. Because it's the, the poor countries that are the population explosion, the, the, the kind of society that you are advocating where everybody's digging ditches. That's where you're going to get no, a I'm huge not. population explosion. No, I'm not. Because I'm not. then there will be an economic value in having more kids to contribute to the common pool no, of families no, no. so that if, they can all survive. If you, have, if you have prosperity and wealth evenly distributed around the planet, by whom? You, by, by your civilization, by different mechanisms, then well, you not, would not... But not the free market. If you, if Anything you, but the free market, am I no, correct? No, I, I think the free market has a, a role to play. I think government has a role to play. But the key point is this. If you want to get population growth down, you've got to deal with the poverty. It's the poverty. It's our having too much and them having too little that causes this division. Well, we have dealt with that, that creates, problem. We've that solved poverty the, in North America. No, but we have to solve poverty worldwide. And, and when that poverty is Why solved... Why do we have to do that? Why don't they just emulate us and say, look at what the smart North Americans did. They went to free markets. They, they, just, they, they invented private property rights. No, because, they, no. they go by contracts. That's how they make deals. Why don't we do yeah. the same thing? And we have a, you know what? In yeah. 50 years, they'll be as technologically advanced, or if not better than us, if they stick to those principles. You, you, again, you simplify it and miss the point that... Uh, it's because we have so much capital. Well, you want it complex me, so that people can't understand no, what you're saying. No, the, the, the left has a complex solution to the problem. The well, right the, has the, a simple solution. The left solution. has no solution to the problem. We do. It complexizes you everything. Listen, you won't listen to the solution. Your solution is control, control, control. Control population, control the technology, control people, control democracy, control... Mm. That's the only word in your vocabulary. I, it's I, a balance. It's a balance between freedom and... and you can't balance freedom and control. I'm yes, either a you free can. person or I'm a controlled person. This, you know, you're you're being the idealist here by saying that you have to be totally free or a total slave. It's I not somewhere in that. between there. But the, the point about poverty is that we have all the money here in the West, in Europe and in North America. No, we produce and most our of system. the wealth in the West. We don't have it. It didn't fall out of the yeah. sky and it didn't come from the East. Our, our, no, okay. so part of it, a lot of it does. We're well, sucking money. Well, if they're money. buying something from us, they're sucking the goods out of us. And you're yeah. always worried about wanting the money. Money. We, we're sucking paper. money out of Africa and, and South America with high interest rates, with the debts that those countries well, that's their 
our problem if they got into debt. No, no it's not. No, it's no. a big part of our problem. But if we don't, if we don't do something about the poverty, we will have tremendous population growth, and we'll have a planet that will collapse. Got a but quick if we question. deal with poverty, we, that's the well, basic. Well, I agree. Okay. If uh, you I got a quick, poverty, question. Got a quick question about debt, though. You said yeah. a moment ago that that we're responsible for their debt situation. If you came, if I was a banker and you desperately needed money for something, and you came to me and said, Jim, I need this money desperately to improve my life or whatever. And I said, no, Gil, I'm not going to give it to you because you're not responsible enough for it. What would you say to me? Well, I think you have to look no, at No, no, I'll answer the question. What would you yeah. say? Because that was the situation with those third world countries. No, it wasn't the situation. It was the, in the 60s and 70s, they had prospered ac economic times. They had high commodity prices, and, and, and they were developing. And, and, and they were, money was being invested in those countries. And in and, and much of the cases, a mine would be built, and, and the mine would be owned by a multinational corporation, and they would want a railway that would get the ore from the mine in the hinterland down to the port. Mm -hmm. And so they would get money. Uh, borrow money from Canada to build that railway to, yeah. and buy locomotives from GM Diesel. Yeah. And, and that was a process where the ore was being taken out of that country. Yes, there was some prosperity, but then high interest rates came along. But the commodity if, prices but collapsed. But if we had said, if the lender had said, no, we're not going to let you build that railroad, mm -hmm. there would have been a whole lot of people would have saying, well, there you go again. It's this, mm -hmm. it's this North American attitude that we're second-class citizens. Well, give us the money. We can build the railroad. We can mm -hmm. run it. So we gave them the money. They They whatever they did with the money now they owe all kinds of dough and you're suggesting that somehow that's our fault but see the point is maybe they shouldn't have built that railroad maybe they shouldn't have built that mine maybe they should have had money to they build being the government in, in that country. and the people the people in that well, country well, sure. what they needed agree, but the government was orchestrating the thing and that's why it fell apart guys i have to step yeah. in just for a second we've got these important messages coming your way and we'll be back with more left right and center well, I challenge you to listen to an hour like the one we're in the midst of now and uh, go somewhere else for something lighter because you won't like it, folks. This is where the action is right here on 1290 CJBK. Gil Warren and Bob Metz with us. Gil, you were just finishing up about the explanation of how it's our fault that we loan these people money. It's, it's not just our fault. It's a, it, it, there's some fault in, in the countries as, as well. But what I'm suggesting is that we have an economic system that that wants to go into third world countries and build mines and get those resources out of there or oil wells or whatever. And again, it's we have that system, but they don't go. Again, it comes what, back. What are we going to do about the governments in Africa, where where you've got strife and war and civil civil wars going now, why on? Why is that happening? Because because the they all believe in collectivism. They're still they're they're, no, they're tribal no. societies being brought into a modern modern Most highly of those technological uh, world. I disagree. That, that I does disagree. not mix. You can't mix. Most of, the, most of the countries in Africa and South America now are completely behind uh, big business and the world corporate uh, globalization thing. I mean, they, they're, the elite, they, local elites are totally now tied into that. starting to see, see the benefits not of it. In Brazil, the not in Brazil. Is, the, the government the still controls things in all, in all those economies. Every one you're pointing out is, is to me, I, I don't know why, how you can use that as an example of your ideal when that's already your ideal in collapse. It just doesn't make sense. No, I'm not saying that what they have there now is an ideal. What I'm saying is, in fact, that it's a symptom of, of a world system that is sucking the money out of Africa and South America and bringing it here. That we live a very comfortable life what partially. Money, what money is in the Africa? The resources. Thought, the resources out of the oil. The resources. They get low commodity prices now. I mean, the prices what of cocoa and What do they get in exchange for rubber, resources? They get money, right? They get money much or they get lower, loans or they get grants or some some yeah. form of cash. Much lower than what they got. Much lower than what they got in the 60s well, and 70s. And right now they're paying off the bank them? debts. They're paying off the bank debts. The, the, that they borrowed. Yeah. 
the, the, the interest they owe is greater than the money they make off the commodity well, prices. Well, welcome to Canada. Well, the, interest in, the interest bill into our national debt is more than the money we, we borrowed, too. So we, they're, we the, made the same they're no worse mistake. off than we are. They are because their whole economies are collapsing. They're because they're they never had a capitalist economy to begin with. This is what I'm trying to get at. Well, they they did came in the six, from a much the more 60s, primitive... They did. Yeah. Well, for five yeah. years, maybe they experimented with it, but, yeah. but North America's had a completely different background. We had the Magna Carta that started with, with Britain, and that whole, you know, dominoes effect of law, contract, private property, common law came to North America. And, and I, I don't really think there's a big difference between the United States and Canada, really, other than our structure of government. We both basically believe in the same principles of government in terms of what these countries were founded mm -hmm. on, which is not what Gills is advocating here. Those African countries have the same laws about property and stuff like that. But, the, the, but they don't respect them, Gil. They don't with, respect with all, them. Yeah, just, with all due respect, they don't. They don't. As someone who studied the African continent, they don't. There's a structure of laws in a number of those countries that are notorious for their for their for uh, the, the ignorance that the government has of their own laws. Well, in terms of human... I agree with you in terms of human rights no, no, and things e like that. Economic they're, they're very and private weak, property very and all of that thing. They, they, the, the structure may be there, but they, it, isn't, it isn't part of, of the society. Because the they're not completely is. developed societies. Well, they're well, developing societies. Yeah, exa but exactly right. Here, but here's my point about, about if um, we have a system that encourages the, the extraction of, of resources from either northern Canada or from Africa. What hap that's not appropriate technology. What those people need are bicycles, they need water, to they go need where? sewers. To go to make they to make their, their communities more efficient. So do we give them bicycles? No, no. We, we help them s s uh, get what they need in terms of setting up a bicycle industry or having a water pipe uh, industry or we give them why, sell why, them a water why pipe. Why do they need bicycles and not cars and trucks? If you want to keep them here's in a, a primitive here's level a of, of classic technology. example of what happened in in, in development in, in Africa in the 60s, they they brought everybody brought tractors in. The Russians brought tractors in. The Americans brought tractors in, and they were going to have great farming production in Africa with no private property rights. And what happened was what a ridiculous well, no thing to do. no no that wasn't the problem. The problem no. was there was no infrastructure for spare parts. There was no money to buy spare parts. There was no money to buy right. gasoline. That's, that's the private property rights. The that's the, that's the structure that's required. The government no, upholding no, no, contracts, the, the no. government uh, no. protecting what? a farmer's right to his no, land no. so it, that he can use his the tractor tractors. and be sure that the crop's still going to be the there tractor was, The tractor technology was too much for the system. What they needed were water buffalo, and they needed uh, uh, single furrow plows and stuff like that. They needed appropriate technology. Yes, not because, a they had a primitive, because they had a primitive government and in, in a primitive society in place, which is what I've been saying, that, that a primitive society can only exist but on that's primitive an example, technology, but it will bring itself the up. The tractors were an example of a high technology being imposed Thrown on. in the wrong area, that's true. Yes. That's and why on Star Trek inappropriate they have the prime technology. directive. <laughs> we've got to go to the, line, to the lines here. We've got Dave who's been waiting very patiently to get his two cents worth in. Go ahead, David. Thanks, Jim. I... I I just can't believe what I hear from Gil. He, he scares me with every comment that he makes. Uh, the only you way up. you're going to get to what he wants is to have a world dictator. No, no. Well, you have to because you have to bring every country, every uh, society in line with your viewpoint. If they're not, then the whole thing goes askew. So you have to have one guy who controls nope. everything. No. Nope. It's just like I, I really think you've been playing too many computer games like civilization or something have where you're you're the role uh, you know you're the the god of this thing and you and you set up everything you want and then when you don't get what you want your alternative is force it was like last week with the uh, parking lot mall issue where you negotiate with the parking the malls for parking paying parking and if they don't go along with you then you say you force them 
I mean, if I went to a bank and I wanted money and I negotiate and he won't give it to me and then I force him to give it to me, people would call me a robber and a criminal. But I'm not really because that's what our government is going to do or that's what you would have them to do. Well, so what, just what, about the bi- what about the business? When I, when I, the, co- the company, when I want to buy a loaf of bread and the price of that bread is $2 and I only have a dollar and I'm hungry, uh, is it a dictatorship for the owner to say, I'm sorry, I'm not going to sell you that bread unless you give me two bucks? You know, it, it works it both is? ways. Is it, it a dictatorship? Yes, it, the market is dictating to that guy that he can't eat because the price no, of bread not. is too So dollars. maybe I ask if I could get a half a loaf of bread for a dollar. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And, and they might sell it to you, or they may say, and no, then we I don't guess break up our loaves. And if he doesn't, loaves. then I just force him to give it to me because no. I need that loaf of bread and he's being unreasonable. Yeah, I want to get back. But it's his bread. I want to get, yeah, and how did he get that in the first place? But let's go you back to, the, let's get back the, to the, the world. assumption here. Yeah, he, had the, he had the power and resources to, to set up the bakery. But let's get back to the world dictator thing because you're absolutely wrong. I think we're ending up with a world dictatorship with these world corporations running and c- controlling everything. What I'm suggesting is that it's a collective thing that we need democracy worldwide and we need to have the citizens participating, not not just in elections, but looking at all these issues you know and saying, what do we need to do? I bet Bob and Dave, on that, I know I agree with you on that, but that's not what you're talking about. Because, because human, uh, from what we've seen thus far, human beings are not moving in that direction. We are not developing our societies in that direction. Well, let's do that. Well, okay, everybody who wants to, line up with Gil. What about the rest of us? What do you do to the rest of us? If there's more of us than you, what happens then? I'm suggesting that this has to be a democratic process. Well, okay, okay. So, so you're yeah. in the minority, and you're in the minority yeah. forever. No, I'm not going to be. We're, we're going to oh. work to make a majority. And when, what we, if ha- I'm... when we have a majority, then... Is the... that 50% plus one? Yes. That's how, this, that's how democracy works. And well, when you've got a majority, then, then you'll you can force... Get, and what do you do with the 49% that's that how don't the, want to go along? You force them? It's, that's how democracy works. Well, you may well, not want to... With the 49%. It's not exactly... You're oversimplifying yourself. It's not, it's not exactly how democracy, democracy works. Is it's not what democracy it's about. is about the, the majority Wrong. trying to do what's good for the whole of everybody. Within, and, a, within yeah. a framework and a structure that delineates both their responsibilities and their rights. Yes, and, pre- and, protects, and protects the minority, the minority. as much as possible yeah. yeah but if but if you have a, a world where there are a hundred billionaires who own everything and and have all the power and this is what we're talking about is power it all comes down to power and if those guys have the power you're talking about and you're you're mixing powers you're you're confusing the power an individual earns by by virtue of the product he's offered a marketplace and they've rewarded him but what with if he political inherited power, what if which he is in- what you want to replace it with which that is the dangerous power what if those 10 a politician ten- doesn't have to earn anything but a vote he just has to be popular he doesn't have no, to he know to anything he has to know he's got to be good at he's pr be, he's got he, but he doesn't have to know a thing about oh, politics excuse me? Politician has to be intelligent. Should be. We have a lot of them are. Not enough of them are. Should be okay. But here's my point. What if those billionaires inherited their money? They didn't earn the money. Well, if they inherited, they inherited then that's the property right of their father or mother or whoever left it power. to them. Yeah. And they inherited it, and it's still their responsibility. And it'll be gone by the third. It'll, it'll be gone, be gone by, by the third generation. Why don't we have an inherited tax? Dave, thank you for your call today. Appreciate you joining us. And thank you, Gil and Bob. Always fun when you guys get together. Jeff Schlemmer will be back next week, but Gil is standing invitation anytime Jeff's not here I'd love to have you back sure, okay. and uh, thank you for, for staying with us today tomorrow we will talk to Donna French the mother of Kristen French uh, one of Paul Bernardo's victims she's coming to London to uh, well you'll find out tomorrow why she's coming to London also Paul Martin's annual fall economic update what's it going to mean with us and Veterans Affairs Canada is putting out a call to World War One veterans why what are they doing we'll find out all of this tomorrow on the next edition of Talk of the Town for Bill and Bob and
Karen and Ryan. It's Jim saying, please stay tuned for Ask the Experts with Chris and Robert, and join us tomorrow for the next edition of Talk of the Town. Take care of each other. Mind how you go. Bye for now.